Hi and welcome to Personal Finance with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice that you'll ever need. This is episode six and on our journey so far, we've looked at redundancy, financial planning for those of us with young or growing families, mortgages in 10 steps to buying your new home, income protection, insurance, and options at retirement. Now, if you missed any of those, the good news is you never really miss anything these days, do you? You can listen when it suits you, and you really should because there's a load of good advice. Search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and please remember to rate and review us and subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode again. It'll drop for you every week, box fresh. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Now today we're looking at pensions versus ISAs. Uh, I know Phil you get a lot of inquiries from uh, from customers wondering which they should opt for investing in the pension versus the ISA and I suppose it depends like always on that individual circumstances at the time but for those wondering maybe the best thing to do at the outset is explain in, in sort of simple broad terms what the two things are pensions and ISA. Should we start with pensions? I would yeah, mostly know what those pension. are. A pension really is just a, a tool for saving for retirement. Um, so generally with a, a pension, you would save your money into it. At some point in the future, once you've accumulated a pot, that would then provide you with an income, usually when you, you start working. A few different types of pensions. You've got the, the old final salary schemes, but there, there's not so many of them going about nowadays. Uh, most people tend to have more like personal pensions or pensions through their, their work that maybe their work contributing auto-enrollment schemes. Um, so a pension is more a, a vehicle for saving for retirement. An ISA, uh, ISA stands for Individual Savings Account. I would say for savings-wise, I mean, there's a lot of different things that someone can, can save money into, but on, on the savings side, uh, ISA's an individual savings account means it's just individual, so it's just in your like single name and also you get some people that will save in them regularly some will save in as, as lump sums um, I would say that the reason we're kind of speaking more about ISIS today is that the any gains that you make from them are, are tax free so they're probably the most popular kind of savings accounts I would say so um, and there's a question I get asked a lot it's like oh should I save money in a pension or should I save it into to an ISA so at least today give us a bit of, we can discuss just some of the differences between the, the two Absolutely. Having done that, let's let's chip away at the two and find out where they differ to see if it, it maybe helps them decide which they want to contribute to. So I suppose, how much can you pay into both? How much can you pay into a pension uh, and an ISA? With, um, with the ISAs, if you're over the, the age of 16, um, you can pay, the ISA limit is £20,000 per tax year. So that's the, the current limit. So it's quite a, quite a generous amount that MDP and more than that usually would be doing pretty well um, so for the majority of people that, that limit is, is plenty but years ago um, the, the ISA limit was £7,000 so it's gone up quite a bit over the years the, so, so £20,000 is how much you can pay in an, an ISA if you're over the, the age of 16 you also got junior ISAs so if you're under 18 you can pay up to £9,000 in a junior ISA with, with pensions Anybody can, can pay money into a pension. Everyone's allowed to pay up to £3,600 a year and get tax relief on that. Um, the maximum you can pay in a pension in a year is £40,000, but there are ways that it can be done that you can pay 
more than that in, but 40,000 is the, the maximum or up to, they, they call it um, relevant earnings. So if, if you've got um, like a salary, let's say your wages were £30,000 a year, then 30000 is the most that you can pay in a pension. So you can basically put your whole annual salary into that pension and get tax relief on that. But we'll, we'll cover the tax relief in a, a few moments as well. So um, generally for most people, um, 40,000 is the, the maximum in a, a tax year that they can pay in a pension. Um, and for an ISA, 20,000 is the, the amount there. Okay, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know why I wonder like a rich person, but I, <laughs> I, I, I do. I don't have the money, but I kind of wonder a little bit like a rich person. So um, you say 20,000 pounds is the maximum you can invest in an ISA. How many can you have? Is it just one? Well, you get that, that allowances per tax year. So right. so let's say over the last few years, you kept paying in the maximum each year. I mean, it's, it's possible. I've, I've heard of some people that have got as much as a million pounds in excess because mm-hmm. they've saved like the maximum since they came out. I think, somebody makes me think it was like around about 1999 that ISAs came out so it was quite a quite some time ago now but you, you'll get some people that have put the maximum in each year and they think right i want that money any gains that i make in that i'm not paying any tax on which is an important thing for for a lot of people so um, you can have let, let's say you've had one isa in the last tax year you may have paid the twenty thousand into that you can then open another one in the next tax year they with, with isas as well You've got um, two two main different types of ISA. You've got a, a stocks and shares ISA, and you've also got a cash ISA. So a cash ISA is just like a, a sort of deposit or bank account, and a stocks and shares ISA would generally be viewed as a long-term investment um, where you're investing into to stocks and shares. So different places that you can invest, but you can have you can have more an ISA with more than one provider. So you may think, right, this year the Clydesdale Bank's got the best rate, so I'll open one with them. In the next tax year, you might think, right, I'm going to do a stocks and shares ISA, so I'll look at a different provider. So it doesn't all have to be with the, the one company. And pensions are the same. I mean, you, you can have a pension. I, I often find that people have got several pensions because they maybe had one in an old job here. They've opened a personal pension themselves. So again, it's Sometimes you just to sit down and say, right, what have we got? Um, what's the objectives of each of our kind of policies and, and kind of look and, and see from there? And just to take you back to the, the, the cash ISA and the stocks and shares ISA, I'm assuming the cash ISA makes uh, a certain rate of advertised interest and that's that's the idea of putting the money in that. The stocks and shares yeah. is, is a, a little bit more, not a gamble, but um, there's the chance to make more money, but also there's a chance where it, it, you could lose a little bit as well, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. I mean, with, with the cash ISAs, the, the banks tend to be the main provider of them. You, you've also got national savings, also do do cash ISAs. Um, the interest rates, I mean, like I, the, the, the Bank of England base rate at the minute is really low. Um, it's the lowest it's ever been. So what you tend to find is that the rates for cash deposits are really poor. Um, some of the cash ISAs is as little as like 0.01%. It's just the, the rates are really pretty dreadful. You tend to find the longer you leave it in a cash ISA, like some will offer maybe a fixed rate cash ISA for two years, or you maybe have to give them 30 days notice or 60 days notice. Generally, the longer you leave it, I mean, you, you get like five-year fixed rate ISAs. Um, but again, the interest rates, I always think are quite 
poor on that. So some people will think, right, I'd rather leave the money long term. So they, they'll maybe look at stocks and shares ISA. But again, it's all risk and award. Generally, I mean, if the, the bigger risks you take, potentially the higher rewards. But not everybody can afford to lose the money that they're putting away into something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, just taking you back to that ISA thing for a second, Phil, I, I sound like I'm obsessed with this, but um, no, no, it's okay. let, let, let's just say I've got uh, 20K in my ISA. Um, can I then open an ISA for my wife? You mentioned junior ones where you could save up to, to yeah. 9,000 pounds per year. I, am, I imagine there are people who are putting ISAs for, for their, their wife, perhaps their cleaner, their grandchildren, yeah. you know, and they're just sort of stacking pots of cash all over the place. Yeah, I mean, you you can pay in. I mean, with, with an ISA, I mean, if, if you, you have to watch sometimes if you're gifting money to the the kids. But the, yeah, generally, I mean, like if if you wanted to put money in for like say twenty thousand into one this tax year for yourself, you might think right. I want to do the same for my my wife. So the, there's options where you can kind of do that, and then again, you've both got that allowance next year that you could add. The same again there. So they, it's a good way of getting money like in investments where the gains are not taxable. That, that's the, the major benefit. But then pensions are the same. Any gains in pensions, you don't pay any tax on, on that either. So comparing a pension against an ISA, the gains in each generally tend to be that, that you're not paying any tax on that. Okay. And um, in terms of taking money out, you mentioned there, ISAs uh, can be quite restrictive in terms of there's usually quite a period of time that has to pass before you can take money out. Uh, how accessible are our pensions and how do they compare? That, that would be one of the big differences. You, you'll find ISAs, I mean, you, you get instant access cash ISAs. So if, if you went for that, you can take the money out immediately. Even with most stocks and shares ISAs, you, you can generally, on, on the bulk of them, you can take the money out as and when you need it. But if it's a, a stocks and shares ISA would be a longer term or seen as a longer term investment. So if you took the money out at a time when the fund was down, you're going to lose at that point. So, But generally, most ISA, ISAs generally tend to have a lot more accessibility. When, when you pay money into a pension, you can't generally take that money out until you get to the age of 55, and that's due to go up. Um, I think in 2028 up to, to 57 at that point in time. So for, for most people, like for, for ourselves, if we pay money into a pension, we're not going to be able to take any of that out until we hit the age of 57. So you've got to, when you're weighing up what you, you want to do, you've got to think, right, do I need this money? Will I maybe need this money? Is it money I can leave until age 55 or 57 or whenever it may, may be? So so that is a big consideration with things as well. And, and what sort of things can you invest in with each? The, so as I said, with, with ISAs, the, the main sort of types of ISA, you've got cash ISAs and stocks and shares ISAs. And when it comes um, to pensions? So with, with pensions, you can invest in a, like oh, so many different areas. You can okay. invest in, I mean, if someone's investing in a pension, if I, same with, with ISAs as well, what, what a financial advisor would do is they would look and say, right, what's your kind of attitude to, to risk and capacity for loss? So they would look at it and say, right, would you be comfortable if your investment went down? Um, again, what's your plans for, for this money? Um, what risks are you kind of comfortable with taking? 
Um, with, with a pension, it, it generally tends to be longer term investment. So for for me, I, I don't think you should have your money in a in a pension. You don't really want it in cash unless you were maybe neither retiring and then you thought, right, I want to take less risk at this point as I get closer to to maybe drawing your, your pension. Um, but with pensions, you can invest the money in cash. You can invest it in stocks and shares, bonds, commercial property. There's so many different areas that you can kind of invest in. And, and to be fair, I says I've got that as well, where, where you can invest in a cash ISA. Um, with stocks and shares ISAs, you, you you can take different degrees of risk with them as well. Um, if someone wanted something really high risk, there, there's plenty of funds out there for, for that. If somebody wanted an, a, a stocks and shares ISA that's maybe a bit more on the cautious side, they, they can look at that sort of thing as well. So um, investment choice that, uh, on both pensions and ISAs, you've got a lot of different investment choice that you can can invest in there so there's not much difference between the two in, in that respect to be honest uh, what about if you're, you're looking to, to draw an income let's say you, you reach an age where you can you can access your pension um and yeah. you're also able to access your ISA if you're looking to draw an income what, what's best in that regard the good thing with an ISA is that if you start drawing money out of that and taking an income from it you've no tax to pay at all on that money. So so that's a, a real good thing with an ISA. With a, a pension, when you take money out of, if you've got a personal pension, by the time you get to whatever, or say 55 at the minute, you can draw 25% of that out as a tax-free lump sum. Um, you could then put that into say ISAs or other investment, there's tax efficient investments that you could draw that money back out of. But generally then the, the rest of the pension, if you're taking it as an income, will be taxable. So that, that's maybe a, a downside against pensions. But then where, where pensions benefit is that you get tax relief on the contributions that going into it. The very next thing I was going to ask you was about tax relief and the contributions. Yeah. So that, that's one thing. Like if you put money into an ISA, if you paid 10 grand in an ISA a day, 10 grand goes into it. Um, but if, if you pay money into a pension, you get tax relief added at the highest rate of tax that you're paying. So if it's a basic rate taxpayer, so I, I mentioned earlier, everyone's allowed to pay 3,600 into a pension and get tax relief on that. So if you pay in 2,880, you get 25% added, which brings it up to that 3,600. So that's giving your, so you're getting like 25% added to your pot straight away, which is a great boost to, to it. And if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you're getting even more mm. added to, to it. So for the likes of myself, I mean, I, I, I started to pay a lot more into my pension now because I'm thinking, right, my earnings are, are good. Um, so let's take advantage of the fact that I'm getting so much tax relief added to it straight away. And that, that's one of the major benefits of a pension over an ISA. So the, probably the downside of the pension is that the money's generally away for a longer period of time. But the advantage is that you've got that tax relief added right at the, the beginning as well, which is a, a real boost to, to your pension savings. How is it affected? How are they treated if you've got a, an inheritance tax liability, Phil? Explain that to me, first of all. And then, yeah, I mean, like, if, you've got, if you have assets over 
the inheritance tax threshold. Um, so at the minute, I think it's three hundred and twenty-five thousand. Is anything over that? You're paying inheritance tax at forty percent on. Now there is different rules come in for for your main residence and that as well. But just generally, an ISA would fall within your estate, so that would be subject to inheritance tax if you've got a, a liability to pay. Whereas pensions typically fall out with your estate, so you would normally put your pension. You you would normally nominate someone to receive that benefits should you pass away. So. Pensions are very good from an inheritance tax point of view. I, I remember a few years back when I when I was a financial advisor. I, I don't advise anymore. I, I run a financial advisory business, but um, I, I don't actually give advice these days. But I remember a few years back when I did. There was one chap who he wanted to draw an income, and normally most people would just say, "Right, I'm taking that out of my pension," and that's where he was getting it. So what, what I said to him, I just look, you've got an inheritance tax liability. You've got a couple of hundred thousand pounds in ISAs. Let's look at drawing your income each month from your ISAs to reduce your inheritance tax liability. When you die, your pension pot will then go typically free of tax or free of inheritance tax to who you, you wanted to go to. Um, so that, that was what we looked at. So sometimes by doing a bit of financial planning and, and speaking to, to an advisor, they, they can look at ways that you might not realise can benefit you in certain ways. So from an inheritance tax point of view, that, that's where pensions can be, be very good there as well. Should someone have a liability for that? Yeah, the, my own humble brain's cogs are turning and I, I'm getting to a point where I'm thinking... Uh, I, it sounds to me, for for the most part, and this is just all that I've picked up, that maybe yeah. an ISA is good to a certain extent, and then you really you want to dump what you've got in your ISA into your pension at some point. Can you do that? It is. I mean, that, that's one thing that I've I've done over the years as well. Is say to somebody, right, okay, let's maybe start off by saving the money in an ISA. You don't want to commit it too long. You don't know if you might need it at some point in the future. So you can, you can save into the ISA and then you can always, like depending on how much you're paying in, there is an option where you can might say, right, I want to now pay that into a pension and get the tax relief on it. Now, especially if your earnings are going up. So, so let's say you're a basic rate taxpayer for quite a number of years and then suddenly you become a higher rate taxpayer you're then going to get the 40% tax relief. In fact, in Scotland, the tax rate is higher, so you actually get more tax relief on it going in. So so that's something there. Like You might think, right, my earnings are going to rise quite substantially, so I want to benefit from getting more tax relief on it at some point in the future. So again, that's, that's where good financial planners come in and look at all the different... Like they, They'll look at someone's circumstances, not just today, but what it's likely to be in the future as well. So again, that, that's something that you can do. And another benefit of, of doing it that way is that you can still have access to money when it's within an ice sector, within a pension. Monies aren't quite so accessible generally when, when they're in a pension fund. Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, this is pensions versus ISAs. Now, each week um, so far, as we've covered various topics, Phil's given us a look back at uh, his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. 
Um, you, you've talked about this a little bit already today, but I wonder if you've got anything for us this week, Phil, concerning pensions versus ICE. As you mentioned there, that you, you started just recently maybe putting more towards the pension. Yeah, that, that's one thing. I mean, my, my earnings the last couple of years have gone up quite a bit. So because my the tax banding has gone up for myself, I mean, I, I tend to pay a lot more now into pensions than I do ISAs. It's good to have money accessible though, so um, and, and ISAs can be a good vehicle for, for that. But I know for me, just based on my personal circumstances, I tend to pay a lot more into pensions, but that's because the tax relief is very attractive to myself and that's money that I won't need until I hit like the, the age of like late 50s, early 60s, and then we'll look at kind of doing stuff with, with that. Well, one thing to note when I go on about like the, the higher rate tax relief, there's every budget that comes around almost every year you get a lot of commentators saying oh the government are going to be looking to save money so they made you away with a higher rate tax relief and it's important to note that things change and and again that's why it's good to review your finances regularly because tax the, the amounts that you can pay into things change tax reliefs change nothing stays the same for very long in this game that's that's one thing I've noticed over the years so it is good to, to kind of have a regular review of your finances so if you do have a financial advisor or a financial planner like I I would reckon most would recommend that you do sit down with them at least annually just to say right let's keep looking at your circumstances people's circumstances change all the time as well so so at the moment I'm putting money away thinking right I don't need it for for anything else but there may come a time where I think right oh, maybe want to have more kids so I don't want to spend so much money on, on paying it in the savings but I'm um, saying that I've got six boys already so I don't <laughs> think I'll be more kids but um, it's, it's just trying to, it's trying to do what's best for, for each individual you know, if you're looking for a tip on what to spend money on with six boys, Phil, I've got a few ideas for you. Uh, we, always, <laughs> we always do this bit as well. You, you, you find inspiration, uh, I know you do, through various people that you admire. Um, and if you've ever seen Phil on, on social media, every now and again, he'll pop up a quote. He loves a quote. Mm. Have you got one that fits our, our subject matter for this episode on pensions versus ISIS? I've, I've got a really good one today. Um, it's from Warren Buffett. So, um it says, do not save what is left after spending, but spend what is left after saving. Now, for me, I, I'm a total, I, I'm a lot more of a spender than a saver. So I, that's one that I really should pay heed to. So I thought it was really good. Like, do not save what is left after spending. That's what most people would, would do. But spend what is left after saving. Um, and I mean, he's one of the richest men in the world. So who am I to argue with him? Eh? That's, it's that's great it. theory, isn't it? It's, it's, right. it's... And I'm the one that needs to see, like, save more and spend less. Yeah. Great in theory that one. Let's uh, let's hope that it yeah. works out for you in, in, in real life. Or as my granny would have said, dinner spend what you can't afford. Um, yeah. Right. So to summarize on this episode, Phil, um pensions versus ISAs, the uh, the takeaway points, the things to remember. Yeah. I, I would say like try to decide what's best is it is kind of like an individual like down to someone's individual circumstances but I, I would say that the main thing if you were considering am I wanting to pay a pension or saving an ISA what I would say is like what, what's your objectives how long are you looking to invest for will you need access to the money That that's kind of really the, the kind of things that will determine 
what's going to be the most suitable for you. Um, each have got benefits, each have got maybe like pros and cons. So it's trying to weigh it all up and say, right, what's going to be most suitable for, for myself? Phil is very keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please feel free to do so. And as always, uh, we can ask him anonymously if you wish. Um, let's get on to this week. Contact details if you want to send a question coming up after we do these. Uh, I've chosen a couple to look at. One is to do with mortgages and the other, I guess, um, on property as well, in a way. The first comes from Ian Miller in Kilsyth, who says, Hi, Phil. I had a thing the other day which said the Right Move Property website and app. Uh, has reported a huge rise in business over the summer, successfully sailing against the tide of nearly everything else. And yet when I've listened to you, you always say the mortgage product market is a little bit sensitive at the moment. Not all the usual mortgages are, are available or are out there. I was wondering how both things can be true. And do you see a time soon when the market will open up again? Because right now I want to buy, but I'm stuck. Yeah, I, I'm finding at, at the minute, um, I, my, my business, Phil Anderson Financial Services, generally we tend to do about 400 mortgages a year. So we, we do quite a, a number of mortgages. Um, our mortgage advisors, honestly, inquiry-wise, this is the most we've ever had in. I, I would say in the last couple of months, we've had more mortgage inquiries than ever before. It's just nuts. And, and that sometimes I think, is that because... Is it because we had such a period when everyone was locked down, and there was like at that point there was not we were dealing with a lot of existing clients reviewing their mortgages and helping them with that, and there wasn't so many people you weren't able to buy because you couldn't go and view mm. properties. So there is a bit I think is it all just bottlenecked into one go? But it is so we we are getting an awful lot of mortgage inquiries at the moment. What we are finding, though, is that the mortgages are more difficult to get. So lenders are restricting the loan to value. So they, they, at the minute, um, as I speak today, I think 90% is the maximum that you can to, you can get from any of the lenders. So you need at least a 10% deposit to put down. That changes quite a bit. There's been some days where 85% was the most, but it, it's varying a, a bit there. But th there's definitely movement in the market, although the mortgages are harder to, to get. And you, you kind of hope that maybe later on in the year and early into next year, the criteria will start to ease a bit again. Lenders are nervous. They, I think... There's a lot of job losses, unfortunately, with people that's maybe been furloughed, that's not getting taken back, and lenders are nervous. But they, yeah, I can see why somebody like Right Moves Property Website would be reporting like huge rises over the, the kind of summer months and um, and into the fall because it is. We, we've seen an awful lot of inquiries coming in here. It's just that the mortgages are quite difficult to get at the moment for certain people. But if, if you've any adverse credit or not much deposit, it's a lot tougher just now. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, 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 with right move, I imagine people are sitting at home during lockdown. And it's, it's that sort of wish your day away, isn't it? You're sitting there looking around yeah. these homes online, but unable to go and, and, and do it in person. Um, the second question comes from Fiona in Old Meldrum. Now, Fiona's one isn't on a financial product as such, but certainly to do with property. Now, she says, uh, my mum has just been accepted by a care home because she has Alzheimer's. Uh, and she was becoming too much for my dad to be her full-time carer. They're both in their 80s. He still lives in their marital home. They don't owe anything on it. If I can avoid it, I don't want my dad to have to sell his house to pay for mum's fees. 
which amount to nearly a thousand pounds a week. A friend has suggested we get dad to transfer ownership of the house to the kids in an effort to avoid this, as it would then not be his asset. Is this a good idea? And is there anything else that I should be doing? One one of the things planning for care home costs is that the earlier you plan for it, the better. Now they they won't make you sell the property. What, what happens is that the the council would say, right, let's say it was a thousand pounds a month. What they'll do with that is at some point in the future when the property is sold, that's when the council take their money. So so at some point, um, let's say he was in a home for a year and it was a thousand pounds a month, there'll be a twelve grand fee. At some point when that property gets sold, they get that £12,000 off of it. There's a couple of different things that that you can do. Um, I've seen some people put their houses in trust to to try and avoid it. Um, If if you gift it away, you've got to watch because, in theory, they can, like, the the council could challenge it and say, oh, they call it deliberate deprivation. So the council could say, well, hang on you've deliberately done that to avoid this and they can go back any length of time. People tend to think, oh, but after seven years has passed, I don't, that'll be out with their estate at that point. That's for inheritance tax. That's where the seven years often comes into things. But theoretically, a council can go back and, and challenge it for, for any point in time if they think it's been done deliberately. That's why I've seen quite a lot of folk set up trusts. Another thing that you can do as well, like a, a property will be owned, let, let's say it's a, a married couple and they, they own a property. Usually that property will be owned jointly. And, and what you can do is you can actually do it so that they own 50% each. And that way, the if somebody ends up in a care home and there's a massive bill, the council can only get their hands on half of it. Um, so that that's one kind of thing that, that solicitors can set up as well. So it is, I, I would say in, in that situation, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to, to kind of to, to plan or to, to kind of mitigate the, the bills. But certainly the earlier someone looks at that, the, the better in that sort of situation. But the, the council wouldn't make you sell, they, they wouldn't actually make you sell the home to pay for it. They would take their money at some point in the future when the property is sold at that point. So effectively, it's just uh, what's happening is that you're, um, the services that they provide, they're on tick right now and you're going to pay up for them eventually. That's it. Yeah, the bill's running, the bill's clocking up yeah. and then it would get paid at some point in the future. You, you can actually, I, I, this happened to my, my, my own auntie or my, my uncle ended up in a care home, but my, my auntie had actually died before him. And, and they were able to actually change her will after she had died. Oh, right. uh, so what they did was they, they then, to the, the way her house was set up in joint names, they, they kind of changed that so that she, her half of the property then went to her kids. So, so they inherited that on her death. Um, my uncle ended up in a care home and it meant that the, the council could the maximum they could ever get would be like half the value of that house. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'll, I'll be honest, at the time, I didn't realise that you could actually change somebody's will after they had <laughs> passed away. It's but, you, know, you learn, learn something new every day. And I remember at the time thinking, oh man, can you, you do that? But th- there is other options to try and mitigate, um, like to, to try and reduce what has to go to pay for care costs. Another thing that, um, for example, if somebody's got money 
in a, a capital investment bond, there's a very small element of life insurance attached to them. Um, so when the council looks at what assets someone's got, they, they actually class that as a life insurance policy. So that capital is then disregarded. So so there's ways that people can look at trying to like they avoid it, but there, there's things that can be done to try and mitigate having to pay as much as, as what you maybe have. Because to you, a year or two in that care homes and your, your money's fairly rattling down, that's for sure. Mm, absolutely. Okay, well, I hope that's helped a little bit. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with the question, there is a chance that we may have covered it in depth in a previous episode. There's a real vault of knowledge to be explored uh, in those full details for where you can find those in just a second. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us today for Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. Uh, if you feel that you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online. That's Phil Anderson Financial Services and on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question that you can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and he could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please, as I say, be assured we won't use a real name if that is what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You get all the links uh, on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Sean. Thank you.